Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. And unfortunately, because I do, I talk to, I do some talks now to teachers. Mm-hmm. When I was a student, no one ever encouraged the comedic side of me. No, right. no one ever said that, hey, look, that's an asset. You can use that to craft your world. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. I have got the man. Like, the man. You don't know how excited I am to have the man sitting next to me. Like, his energy, I can just feel it. He's even got glasses that I wish he had. Like, my glasses ain't nothing to this man. What is your passion? My passion, man, is getting better. Like, I want to leave things better than the way I found them. I want to improve myself. I want to improve my family. I want to improve society, the world, a room full of people. I want to leave them better than when I showed up. So my passion is simply elevation, improvement, and being excellent, getting the best out of what all that I have inside of me. That's my passion. My name is comedian Mike Goodwin, a Mike Goodwin, keynote speaker Mike Goodwin, father. I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a friend. I'm just Mike G. From the moment I met him, I just started laughing. Not because he's always wearing a bow tie. I like bow ties, and I wear them constantly. Not because of his cool, unique, circular glasses. Because I recently started wearing glasses and wanted something cool. I started laughing because he's always laughing, smiling, and trying to make other people laugh. This former military serviceman who found his career in higher education one day just gave it all up and started a career in comedy. Are you laughing yet? Well, the people that pay him to make them laugh certainly get what they pay for. A man of wisdom and pizzazz delivered on a plate full of laughter, full enough to make you see life in a new perspective. This is the heart of Mike Goodwin. And I hope he brings just a little bit of laughter in your life, because his story is like all of ours. We just want to make a difference in the world. Some just have the guts and the laughs to do it. You have this amazing journey from a knucklehead that all of a sudden, it sounds like you knew you wanted purpose. Right. And then you started finding it, and then comedy showed up yeah how when did you realize that i ain't gonna just do this for fun right i'm gonna do something with this energy right like that's a big entrepreneurial shift right right it's huge where you step out and say i'm gonna do something with this yeah comedy was weird because i've always been funny i've always been humorous I never, I'm from Camden, South Carolina. There's no comedy clubs. There's no entertainers. <laughs> it's Camden. It's Camden. Like, All it's, it's got is horse races. Horse races, man. And so, some football. And so, there's no big time entertainer. I, I just never saw that to be attainable. So, I went through life doing my thing, but I always had this thought of like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing something. Like, And I did a lot of stuff, you know, I joined the army, I went to college, I went to grad. So I was never not doing anything. I was doing, I mean, I took my first job, I might have was 14, I was working at Bilo. So I always had um, activity. 
I always knew that I should be working, producing, creating, but I didn't have an idea of why or where. And unfortunately, because I do, I talk to, I do some talks now to teachers. Mm-hmm. When I was a student, no one ever encouraged the comedic side of me. No, right. no one ever said that, hey, look, that's an asset. You can use that to craft your world. They basically discouraged it. They told me that you can't joke your way through life. You think everything's right. funny. Oh, you know, you just think, you, you know, you missed a funny guy. Oh, you always got something to say. So it it was a stigma. You know, I heard this TED talk where the guy was saying, basically, have schools killed creativity? You know, what if the way you learn is stigmatized? And that's how I see the world. I see the world in a comedic manner. Like I've never not seen the world the way I saw it. And it's interesting to me because when I was a child, my sense of humor was a liability. Then when I graduated from college, people told me that it was an asset. So I was interviewing from jobs. You know, they were talking about, you know, doing prep mock interviews and I would, you know, doing these interviews and, and they would say, Oh, you should say your sense of humor. That's a that's a that's an asset. I'm like, what? No. Like I've always been told that's not an asset. That's a negative. Right. And so now I'm an adult. Oh, that's an asset. And so it was a strange kind of thing because even when I started doing comedy, I was working at Heathwood. It was a very secret endeavor. So I had, and you know, I think my world was of such that they never collided. Like so, mm-hmm. I was doing these shows. You trying these to churches. keep it separate yeah. and didn't want it to touch each other, right? I was not worried. the funny guy at work, right? Like, I, I, you know, I was. I was funny, but I wasn't overly. It's almost like crossing a brand. Right, right. And I I used to be super deliberate. So I, I used to be more. And, and, and part of the problem was because I came, I started at uh, the University of South Carolina right after college. And I was in student affairs. So my goal before all this comedy stuff was to become either a VP of student affairs. Mm-hmm. Was to work my way up. Right, in, that in, way. In, in, in higher ed. So my first job was with the Multicultural Student Affairs. Mm-hmm. And my first supervisor was telling me that I needed to differentiate myself from the student because, you know, I was just out of my undergraduate experience. These students are undergraduate. Mm-hmm. You don't want to seem to be fraternizing. Right. So I started wearing like suits. I started, you know, I had the bow tie, but I started dressing as if I was in my 40s and I'm 22, <laughs> 23. Uh, you know, I was really trying to make hard distinction that I'm not a student. And I think I took it too far. I think I took it like to this place of not being who I was naturally. And I was trying to, you know, I think when you start in the corporate America as a, a young person, you don't have experience. So you have to, you have to project strength and you have to project maturity so you do little things to make you seem mm-hmm. older than you are and so I think I did that and I started creating I had this kind of dual mindset I had this the comedic stuff I do especially once I started doing it on stage right. somebody you know another comedian said hey man you should get up so so how did you get to your first routine like a, what I mean a that's guy a, at my that's church a, that's a, a big comedian. jump yeah comedian at my church we were working together in the media ministry and uh, I just was running ideas by him. Mm-hmm. And he let me open. He's like, hey, man, you need to open for me. I never was the one. I never. What thought, was that like? 
it was great because it was at our church and it was a surprise. So no one knew who I, who I was or what they were like a surprise guest. Right. So I came out and I crushed. Like I did like five minutes that night. I rocked it. I had like, if it was a movie, it was like the perfect like standing ovation your first time out. Really? Yeah. And then I sucked for the next two years. <laughs> I bombed <laughs> like terrorist attacks for the next two years. And I sucked. And I had to figure out how to be a comedian. And it's it's similar to, I don't know, you play golf? Yep. So it's similar to going to get a bucket of balls. Mm-hmm. 70 balls in there. You're going to knock 69 of them in the water. But that one ball that you hit, that's like, oh, I, it's in there. Yep. That's how comedy was for me. Like, I would bomb. I would have horrible shows. But there would be one moment, one joke. You get a little taste. That works. And I was like, okay, if I can just multiply this, if I can replicate this again. So I knew it was in there. I just didn't know how to get to it consistently. And so I just kept coming back. I just kept coming back. Like I never, you know, people, sometimes people tell me that they want to try comedy or people, someone told them, my advice is always just get up and do it one time. And you'll know, you'll know pretty quickly like, oh, I'm good. I, I scratched that right. itch. Or. Ain't my place. Yeah. Win, or win, lose, or draw. You're like, okay, I can come back. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's the thing, man. If you can bomb and say, hey, man, I, I want to do that again. Right. It, it may be there for you. Now, I don't. I don't and, and I say this, too, about people. Because comedy is one of those things, you know, folks, you know, say, hey, man, people say I'm funny. I'm like, everybody's funny. Everybody, Everybody has a sense of humor. It's the same as cooking. Everybody can cook. But not everybody's going to start a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so cook for your family, cook for yourself, but don't go open. Don't go crazy. <laughs> don't go get a business license. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, man, I, I just I just never stopped. Once I started doing comedy, I never stopped. Even when I wasn't good, even when I had a job, like I just kept going. I just kept going. I kept going. And then... I wanted to go. I wanted to do it. I wanted to get better. And I went through a point of time like I was doing it because the comedian said I should mm-hmm. come up. So I, I didn't, it, it wasn't personal. I just kind of right. went and I felt like I was doing it more for him than for me because uh, there were times where he would say, and he gave me like a tremendous opportunity because mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing when you start is getting stage time mm-hmm. is to get the ability to go up. But he was taking us on the road with him. And so I was just hoping like shows would get canceled or he'd be like, hey, man, we don't have enough time for you tonight. So I, I did that for a minute. I, I just hope like excited about the show, but terrified about the show and right. hoping they cancel the show, hoping that a bomb is set off and we don't have the show. Some crazy, you know, somebody call in a threat or something like anything to keep me off the stage. And then after that. I think I took more responsibility for my actions in terms of like it became personal as opposed to, hey, man, we want you to come. Now, I was starting to be more taking more of the initiative to do it. Let's go back to Rise. Right. So you you leave Lander. You know, you want you want this with Rise. Right. So we get we get married my senior year. We spent a year not together. So she was in graduate school here in Columbia. Yep. I was in Greenwood. She would come up to Greenwood on Tuesday nights. I would come home on the weekend. We did that for an entire year, my senior year of college. So how did comedy come into y'all's relationship? Because you both have this infectious smile 
when she starts laughing, it's funny. Yeah. But she's super serious. Real Rosa's funny too. She got a great sense of humor. She said she would say that that, that my laugh was probably the first thing she noticed of, mm. that was different about me. I have the type of laugh that's pretty recognizable. Yes, you, know, you do. <laughs> people laugh because I'm laughing. They're not, they might not be laughing at the, the situation. And I, I just think that we enjoy each other company. So when you're, right. when you're around someone you enjoy being around, you know, it's going to be fun. You're going to have right. some. But, you know, I, I don't know her. I don't know Rosalind. Like, I couldn't tell you her favorite comedian outside of me. Right. But, I mean, I couldn't tell you her her, I, I don't think she would have had any of that had I not been involved in comedy. You know, I don't think she she wasn't going to shows. She's not talking about specials. Like you need to see Trevor Noah or <laughs> you know Colin, uh, whoever this whoever the, the the hot flavor of the month is. So I think that I probably helped her into understanding how comedy works, right, in the industry of entertainment. But um. She would tell you that she thought she was marrying a judge. She definitely didn't think she was marrying a comedian. But it was her that that pretty much said, hey, man, why don't you leave your job and do this full time? That's big. You know, I, 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 there's a reason why I kind of going down this path, but I remember when I decided to leave and go do my thing. Right. You can't do it unless you got the support of the house. Right. What was that like to make that leap? Oh, it was terrifying. It was actually... It was... Um, so I was looking at it like I was in a position to where I was doing comedy at a pretty high level for about two years. So I was making about half of my salary doing stand up on the side. Mm-hmm. And so we were paying off stuff, um, making financial decisions. I, you know, I knew I wanted to leave and do it full time, but I right. wasn't. I didn't pull the trigger. I may have waited too long. I mean, I think that I could have easily left a little sooner, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I left. It was the best decision when, when it was the time to make it. But I was at a point, man. I felt like I had two full time jobs, mm-hmm. you know, and and I started to see both of them started being affected. So I was showing up to shows tired, mm-hmm. not really as prepared as I would be. Then at work, stuff slips through the cracks. Right. You know, it just, I was like, I can't do this much longer. Like, right. I, I had done it for two years. You know, we we're very active in our church, had a, you know, small family. Mm-hmm. It, it just got to, I wasn't happy. Like, I was in a bad place um, physically, mentally, because I just didn't have enough to give. Like, right. it was just too demanding. So I got to the point where I said, you know what, I'm going to find a, a job that's a little less strenuous. Work, probably like an infantry-level job. I was thinking, like, maybe, like, get a um, admissions mm-hmm. counselor job, like, mm-hmm. a, like first out of, out of college, you know, maybe work one of the colleges here in town, have a simple caseload, and then I could do my comedy mm-hmm. and, and go. And I remember calling Rosalind because I had found some jobs. I had found, like, I was on the website looking. And I called and I was like, hey, I'm looking for a couple of jobs. And she said, um, a couple of jobs. I said, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I just can't do what I'm doing. Found some, you know, entry-level jobs at South Carolina. And she, on the phone, was like, why don't you just do comedy full-time? And I was like, 
excuse me? <laughs> so she said, you know, yeah, man, it's been growing. I mean, I see opportunity for growth. She's like, I really do feel like this is something you could do. And I was like, all right. And I looked at the phone and then I started thinking about, okay, so how do I make my exit? And I remember I went to talk to my pastor. I like broke down and cried in the meeting because I was just like, I was terrified. I'm like, I'm going to leave my job to do what? To go tell jokes? <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> it's like you're telling a joke right there. Right, get out of here. Some kind of comedian or something. Oh my gosh. Now a quick break to ask for your help. If you like Intersection, we would really appreciate you take a moment, whether you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, please take a moment to leave a review. This is important because it helps others find our show. Thanks so much for your help. Now, let's return to the show. What was the first gig that you got? What was that like? Once you went out and did it. Right. Do you remember it? Yeah, I mean, I think it was different because the first gigs I was getting was sort of the guy that I opened for is a guy named Akintunde. So I was getting gigs from them. So he was a full-time comedian, probably doing comedy for like 15 years. He was he had a, a job at the local radio station, the BPM. His wife was his manager. So what was happening in his case there were jobs that he wasn't going to do. Like, there were small jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody would call and say, hey, man, can you come do this? So I think they were trying to start kind of like a booking agency so mm-hmm. they can get some young talent so they can, you know, book shows, have options for, uh, you know, the, for shows that he couldn't do. So the first few shows were like that. Like, I had, I think my, I had a Valentine's Day show. And they were fine. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't. I was decent. I mean, I think people enjoyed it. You know, these shows that were, um, they were looking for someone. I feel the need. The first show that was of significance to me, I think, was, so when I started, it was, I can tune it was a headliner. It was two other guys that kind of were together. So it was me, this guy named Corey Johnson, a guy named Todd Mickens, and myself. What, what had happened was I started doing comedy in January. I continued did a comedy competition maybe in March or April. So Todd won, Corey won second place. So what happened, he started taking us all under his wing. Mm-hmm. So he was meeting with us. He would take us on the road. And it was kind of like he had a self-made show. So Corey would open, Todd would come up after, I would be before Akintunde, and then he would close the show. So we would go on the road and do some formula of that. If everybody went, we would do it that way. Maybe sometimes just me and Corey would go. Sometimes maybe just Todd and Corey would go. Like, it would be a a variety of that. Well, those two guys were in competition with one another because they were in that... One-two punch. Yeah, so they they always had this spirit of like, oh, I'm going to one-up you. And they thought me and Akintunde were peers. I'm like, I'm, I just started. Like, I'm your peer. But I didn't. they didn't know that. I didn't, right. you know. So they were in competition. I kind of was like, odd man out. Mm-hmm. So we would go to these shows. I would be hilarious in the car. But then I'd get to the place and bomb. And it was because, partly, I had good material, but I didn't have good stage presence. I wasn't mm-hmm. talking to the audience. 
I was prideful. Like I, I was just so enamored by being a comedian. Like I just was, I was just taken away that I was on stage. So I wasn't even talking to the crowd. I was just me. Just telling. I was doing peacock comedy. <laughs> Walking around with my chest poked out. And that didn't, that didn't bode well inside of a room. And so I was not doing well. Like I, you know, and so I would get some shows with the group. Then I would have shows by myself. When I was shows by myself, I would I would be pretty good. But I remember being with the group, and we're probably a year and a half in, and I was doing the same kind of like Todd always would have a great set. I mean, he's just naturally talented. He has that um, charismatic personality. People are drawn to him. So he, I would always say, he, his on a scale of one to ten, he's always going to be at the minimum a nine. Like he's eight nine. He's always on. Always on. Always gonna do a good job. I don't care how crazy circumstance situation are. He's always gonna be good. Corey was steady, so Corey was always gonna be seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. I fluctuated from an eight to a six. You know, I was just <laughs> I was the wild card out of the group. So um I remember the night though, we were in Greenville. We were in Greenville and you know, same kind of thing. We would, and, and this would, this is the the difference. Like we would crack jokes in the car, and I just would just be the, I would be the man, you know. But I would get on that stage, and just the person in the car the wouldn't trick. come on stage. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would always kind of tell myself. I said, man, I know I'll be good once I get the guy off the out of the car. I, at one time, I was like, man, can we just drive the car up on the stage? <laughs> I don't know what happens to that guy. He leaves the building when I get out of the car. And so this particular night, the guy from the car showed up on the stage for the first time in the group. Like I had been the guy in my own shows, but showed up in the group. And the other two guys were like, oh yeah, man. The day is it's a different it's a new day. Like, and they knew. They knew. They was like, man, when he pulls it together, it's gonna be a problem. But I just hadn't, I, it, it hadn't mm-hmm. fell into place for me. It was like Neo in the Matrix. Like mm-hmm. they, it was, it was there and people saw it, but we just didn't know when it was going to happen. And it happened. So that, that show, it was in, uh, it was in Greenville outside of Malden area. And that was the day where it was like this, like everything changed. Like that's, Mike is on another trajectory. Like he's not the guy that, you know, he was before and so that's when I kind of got ahead of steam and like okay let me really lock in because the thing with Todd was Todd's super talented but he didn't want to he wanted to do work mm-hmm. he didn't want to go to open mics he didn't want to write material um, Corey he he is a combination he he does the work but he um, he wasn't as consistent right you know? and so I had this he was young at that point right. I think um, I, f- I forget how old Corey was then, but at that time I started doing comedy. I was about twenty-eight when I started, so when it clicked, I was maybe thirty. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, that's a little bit older to right. be doing this. I don't have time to waste, so I I, I locked in, and so what you're you know, gonna do is born. Yeah, what you're not gonna do. What you're not gonna do. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about what you're not gonna do. Right. So that was a joke that I do. I talk about being from the South, you make up words. Well, that joke didn't work for like half a year, like more than that. I can remember, I can go look back through my notes. It's one of those, you know, it's one of those words that you hear 
And it's like, oh, that's funny. Like, I remember hearing, you know, your mother would say it, your grandmother would say, what you not, you can, you can be in the grocery store and you'll see somebody telling, what you're not going to do is keep, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so I, I I saw that and I was like, oh man, that's a great little catchphrase thing. So I was trying to incorporate it and it just wasn't working. Like, it just wasn't working. I just kept working it, working. And I really almost was at the point of like, man, I'm not, I can't do this joke anymore. Like, it's not going to work. <laughs> This joke's not working. <laughs> and now I'm like the what you're not going to do man. Like people know me. Like I got what you're not going to do. <laughs> uh, merchandise, t-shirts, stickers. And yeah, and it's basically the idea of um, how do you tell someone no. This is what you're not going to do. You know, it's key. <laughs> You know, like my mom, it was like the stuff that I heard my mom. Like, what you're not gonna do is keep running in and out of the house. What you're not gonna do is stand in front of the refrigerator with the door open. You know, what you're not gonna do is put on deodorant without washing. You know, it's just all this stuff that you're a kid <laughs> that you're doing, and they're like, no, you should not be doing that. And then if you super country, it's what you ain't gonna do. Man. That's, what you're not gonna do is a more sophisticated version. But when you really are rural, it's what you ain't going to do. <laughs> when did you start running off stage and running around the place? With skipping, man. So I do this. Uh, I, I, that's, I don't know, man. I have the ability to write good materials. So I write. One of my early jokes was this idea. It's, uh, it's not wrong. It just ain't right. You know, so it's, that's just a funny concept. So I'm looking at all the what what qualifies as that, and one of those things that qualifies is a grown man skipping. I remember walking. I was I was at Heathwood. I was walking through campus, and I saw like a little middle school kid. He might have been in elementary school, but I saw him skipping, and I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> I remember when I could do that, and it was appropriate. Like, if you saw a grown man skipping, that's very concerning. Like. That's not <laughs> that's I, not socially acceptable. When I first saw you skip, right. you were in a tan suit. Right, right. Your bow tie. Right. And you skipped all around that auditorium. Right, right. And just watching you skip, that's I was funny. on the floor rolling. That's hilarious. See a grown man skip and I I, I skip school so gracefully. It's just I'm really exaggerated <laughs> with the movements. So yeah, which not uh not wrong, not right. It's not wrong. It just ain't right. Is to see a grown man skipping, and then so I'll go off and I'll skip, and then what is the bigger punchline? It says, um, I say, well, when you skip, you have to smile. Have you ever seen somebody skip and not smile? Then I skip without smiling, and that's just if you don't laugh at that, you don't have a soul. You are a descendant of Satan if you don't laugh. You don't find that funny. One of the things I love that you do. Recently, and I don't know if it's just recently, but you include in your your deal is you start talking about race, right? In a way that is not hateful; it's just funny, right? Right? Like right. people's names, right? Right? Talk about that a little bit. Why is that such an important piece? Because here, Rise talks about walking into the state house, right? looking at something that brings tears to her eyes. Right, right, right. But here you are taking something that brings tears to people's eyes and bringing a, a different side to it. Yeah. You know, so my stand-up, I mean, I, we live in a weird 
time as it opposed as it relates to political correctness. I think I think you can get to a point where you're so correct, you're phony, you're not, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not real. And so one of the beautiful things about my childhood was that we could crack jokes on people and you didn't it fig you figured out how to become uh okay with yourself. Like right. you can say I have a big head or a big nose. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Cool. I got a big nose. Like, you know, I grew up in a time where you could crack jokes like you. And that's really how I navigated because I wasn't a big kid. I was a little, little dude. So bullying and all that, I had to be funny. I had to be so funny that the bullies and didn't the people, whoop your they wouldn't want to mess with me. Like, <laughs> like I was so, I was cracking so much jokes. They were like, man, we're not messing with that guy. Like, so that's my way of navigating life. And so what I do, man, I just, I observe society. You know, I'm always looking at things and I'm trying to commit, you know, my, my, my intent when I, you know, I talk about writing jokes, I don't do a lot of political humor because if you do political humor, 50% of the room doesn't like you already. Right. So the way I write, I want a hundred percent, hundred percent of the room to laugh. Now hundred percent of the room typically doesn't laugh, but right. I, that's my standard. So if I write a political joke, you know, if it's really good, you're probably going to get another 20 from the 50 to come over. So the best way to write political jokes in what, what, the way I do it, you got to get both sides. So you got to flip it. So if mm-hmm. one joke, it seems like it's targeted at person, at this group, you flip it in the other side. So everybody's apart. So, you know, in my comedy, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm, I'm not trying to be anything other than funny. Like I want to provide a outstanding humorous show. Now, in that, I'm an intellectual being. I'm a black man. I see the world a particular type of way. So I'm going to communicate those things, but I'm not communicating it to change you. I'm communicating it to to provide you with another perspective. Gotcha. So I'm talking about things from You're my, not being persuasive. You're just talking. I'm talking. This is how I see the world. So one of the jokes that I talk about you know, the deals with race is nicknames. I just joke about uh, white guys have the coolest nicknames because their <laughs> names go with them their entire life. So I said, you know, white dudes got names like Bubba, Rusty, Chip. And the joke is, like, your nickname could be Chip. You could be CEO of a bank. Like, you could have Chip on your business cards. I'm like, the brothers can't do that. <laughs> Pookie can't be a branch manager at the bank. You know, so that's a joke it's funny but it's true like you're not gonna see charles pookie anderson bank officer like that just and if it is it's rare <laughs> but you're gonna see chip you're gonna see skip you're gonna see whatever matter of fact uh i was i did it where was we at this weekend i was in louisiana the guy said one of the attorneys in town name is rooster it's rooster <laughs> That's what he goes by. Like Rooster Anderson is this guy. And people go to his office and they take legal advice from a man named Rooster. Rooster. And that's 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 funny. That's craziness. And he's obviously a white man. Like that's not gonna be a black man just pulling that off. It's, I'm just I'm just commentating on it. I'm not saying it's right, wrong. It's how I see the world. And when you give a perspective, I think comedy can do more to heal. Or provide an insight than cramming stuff down people's throat. And, and everybody has their role to play. Right, right. Everybody has their role to play. So, you know, I talk about police brutality. I talk about raising a black son. I talk about these things, but I'm not accusatory. I'm not coming for people. 
I'm presenting my life story. And you can't argue with my life story. Like, it's my life. And so, and, and when I write, I don't write with a spirit of malice. Like, I'm, when I'm writing, I want people to laugh. Something recently happened. I do this joke about, um, I do this joke about people died doing what they love to do. Um, and so I said, well, we don't do that for certain. Like, somebody overdoses. You ain't gonna say she died doing what she loved to do. She probably in a big crack house in the sky. So that's the that's the bit. <laughs> so somebody tweeted me about you know you talking you know it's not fun to make fun of addiction. And I'm like I'm not making fun, fun of, of addiction. addiction. I'm making fun of this phrasing of we saying people died doing what they do because it first time I heard it was a storm chaser. They say died doing what they love to do. They probably in a big tornado <laughs> in the sky. So that that was the genesis of the joke. I was like, well, how do you? Invert that. Like, what else would be an example of they die doing what they love to do, and this has to be something in the sky. So draw. So, but it's not addiction. Like, I'm not talking about. I'm not belittling addiction. I'm. I'm. I'm compassionate. Man, I don't even have to defend that. Like, I'm talking about the wording of what we choose to use and how ridiculous that would be if we said that. Um, so if people come, man, people come to the shows nowadays, they want to be offended. They're looking to be offended. And it's like, man, don't take yourself so seriously. So the stuff that I'm, I'm communicating, I want you to laugh. Like if it hits you some type of way, okay, but laugh at it. Like I'm not trying to, you know, I do, I do stuff about plantation. I mean, I do a lot of stuff that's quote unquote racially, um, motivated because that's how I see the world. I'm an African American man. I'm a black man. So I'm just showing you. Life through my lens. You're a black man. Right. But you're a family of entrepreneurs. Right. How did that happen? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You're breaking all these conventions. Now, I'm not trying to talk about stereotypes. Right, right. I'm just going to be straight up about South Carolina. Right. People look at that and be like, how did it? Black right, right. man get up a military, be a comedian, married to a VP that does this, and he's got two kids that are entrepreneurs. Right. What in the world is going on in the Goodwin household? Right, right. Can I have some of that juice? <laughs> man, I don't know. I think it's the idea of like God has purposed us to do some stuff, and I we really trying to get it done. Like I think there's all of us have talents and and purpose, but I don't know if how many of us are like fighting tooth and nail to get everything out. Like I'm trying to squeeze, if I'm a wash rag, man, I'm trying to squeeze all the juice out. I don't want to leave anything on the table. I don't want to leave anything inside. I'm supposed to write books. I need to get books out. If I need to be doing speeches, I need to get speeches out. And I, I met a woman that has that same philosophy of life. And she, man, as, as motivated and as determined as I am, my wife is a pit bull in terms of, focus and what she is going to get done. So um, we're just two ambitious people that, you know, have taken our God given abilities and say, man, we're going to, we're going to honor him. We're going to give it back. We're going to like, it's the idea of the, the the story in the Bible about the, the, um, the talents where, you know, we had one talent and three and five, I want to have five and I want to double those. I, I don't want to hide my talent in the ground. And then when it's time to to um, to do inventory, it's like, hey, I knew you were a tough guy. And so I hid it in like, no, man, I, you gave me these five. And I went and I, man, we live in a great time. Like, you know, especially, you know, being African-American, man, look at what my ancestors have given. Like folks have died to say, hey, man, here's an opportunity. Like you don't have to. 
drink out of this particular water fountain. You don't have to go to this particular neighborhood. Like you can be more, you can do more. Are there not challenges? Are there not uh, problems in America? Of course they're going to be. They always have been, but that doesn't restrict me from living out my truth and living out the meaning of this American dream. And so, yeah, there are adversities, there are challenges, there are, you know, deterrence. But at the same time, man, you're going to have to get up early to stop me because I'm going. Like, <laughs> I'm going to work, man, and I'm going to get it done, and I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to try to clean it up, and I'm going to keep, but I'm going to keep moving, and I'm, I can't sit still. So, one thing that I <clears throat> absolutely love about you and Roz. And, and I've told this to Roz many times. Right. I, I absolutely, and I say this in full heart, I love Roz. Right, right. Because Roz has been good to me. Right. But I love and I look up to you and Roz because y'all are committed to your family. Right. I hear you on the road, and she's like, I'm hitting a plane to go see, to be in this, to listen to him. Right, right. Because I want to be there to support him. Right, right. Y'all are. Yeah, we're a team. It, it's, it's a team. Talk right. about. What it means to be a team in an entrepreneurial space right. as a black fan. And I hate to bring back to the black. No, but, no, no. You're good. But you know what I'm saying? No, you said. Because there's a stereotype against that right, right, right. that we live around. Right. No, no. And it's a good point that you're making because even when I'm on the road, like at, at the end of the show, people come up. And one of the first questions that I ask after they, you know, they may ask me where I'm from, whatever. They'll say, do you get to take your family on the road with you? And they, when they say that, I feel like. They're trying to say, man, don't you feel bad that you're not home with mm. your family? It's just kind of like, how are you doing this and you right. have that? And the answer is because we know what we're doing. Like, we're a team. We've understood that, hey, we're non traditional. Like, I don't, it's not the way that everybody else does it. Right. And we're fine with that. We're good with that. I was in the army for 12 years. So they're, We've never had a traditional setup. So we've always made adjustments. I've always had to go to drill, go to these trainings for weeks on end, doing these things. So the difference is we are we we know what we want. And you know, with my children, I'm I I tell them, man, I'm preparing you for life. Do I have to be there every day to prepare for life? I don't, because I'm there during the week. I'm picking them up from school. Like I make up in the areas when I'm not there. And so, you know, we, we, there's a, there's an ebb and flow. You know, some people talk about uh, balance and real life isn't all about balance. There's some things that sometimes in life, you're going to be way on this end. And then you're going to be, you know, my kids were babies. We're, we're there. We're hands on with, you know, but then when they get a little older, yeah, we can leave them with my mom or with my aunt and they're not going to miss anything. They're going to be in a loving environment. And we just know that, if, if we're not working, none of this other stuff is going to work. So, like, us being a good unit makes everything else go. And we can't hide behind comedy and Gabby Bowles. We're together. And so when we're together, everything else we can figure out. And so, I mean, we're just committed. We just are committed from day one to, to make and, and not to hold each other hostage. You know, a lot of times people are like, You've been on the road and, and, and we have challenges. We have arguments. We have uh, discussions. Uh, we have disagreements and all of that. But we we say, OK, what do you need? You know, let's let's talk this out. One of the things I've started implementing is like every quarter. 
me and Roz get away. Like we go somewhere from like Sunday to Tuesday and just it's us. We spend time together. We talk about the business after the day. The other part, we're spending time with one another, developing our relationship. Because, again, we can be business partners. And then when the kids leave, we don't know each other. So it's like I had to be intentional about saying, OK, we need, I need to take her away because she works so hard. And she's doing so much like I got to get her out of this environment and get her an opportunity for her to relax and breathe. And so, I mean, it's one of those things that you we don't have all the answers. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But, man, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to try to get it right. We're going to fix it. We're going to we're going to say, oh, this works well. Let's let's keep doing more of this. I mean, you know, we, we, I'm constantly changing who I am to be a better husband to her. And I think she's doing the same thing to be a better wife to me. So man, 18 years, I would like to think I'm a better husband now than I was when we started. And we got 18 years like, man, look at the track. Look at the, look at our uh, look at our track record. Like, I mean, it speaks for itself at this point. Like, You know, people. I've been married to this one for 18 years. So <laughs> we got, we're doing something right. <laughs> and so um, we just kind of, you know, continue to be deliberate about our relationship and, and being together and making sure that I'm giving her what she needs and she's, you know, providing me what I need. Uh, Cause I told her, she, she said something one day, you know, like you on the road. So we, she was talking about her and the kids, we something, something. I was like, no, no, you and I are we. All of us are us. Like, y'all can't be we. And now I'm over here. Like, me and you are we. We made them. So they're now we. <laughs> we are the we. We, <laughs> we start the we. And so, you know, and we just, again, man, we just committed to making it work and, and being flexible. You know, being flexible. You know, there's things that she doesn't do. Like, my wife doesn't cook every night because... That's not realistic. We get a woman to come in and help uh, clean the house. Like there's things that we have to figure out how to do to work for us. So, yeah, people talk about me about being traditional. We we aren't super traditional in the we sit down and have dinner at the same time. But, you know, we are a thriving family and our kids are loved. They're growing and we're preparing them. We're showing them, you know, I think by what I'm doing, I'm showing my children that there's a different way than just a traditional get a job and, you know, work the rest of your days. Like you can create your own life, man. You can write your own story. Last question. Yes, sir. For the new year, how can you bring laughter back into life? Oh, man. New year. I'm writing a book. I'm doing a book called Leadership and Laughter. And it's going to chronicle the 10 leadership lessons I've learned from doing stand-up comedy. And so if people can't see me at a show, they can pick this book up. Mike Goodwin. Yes, sir. It is a pleasure and an honor to be in your presence. Thanks for having me. You are so awesome. Thanks. You are the man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Go to touchpoint.health for many other podcasts, including Datapoint, hosted by Greg Matthews, featuring trending topics as he explores the idea of the quadruple aim, enhancing patient experience, improving population health, improving provider experience, and reducing costs in the system. 
To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.